listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tuse, and today I'll be speaking with poet and author Toni Morosevich about her new book of stories titled Spell, Heaven, and Other Stories. Now, Toni's written five books of poetry, as well as other books, including the award-winning book of nonfiction stories titled Pink Harvest. She was also a professor of creative writing for many years at San Francisco University. Welcome to the show, Tony. Thank you, Michael. Happy, happy to be here. Good. Well, you know, uh, listeners often ask questions about, you know, the writing process. Um, do you have a favorite time to write uh, or a favorite place to write? Uh, you know, uh, I, I live by the sea. I'm fortunate enough to uh, live live close to the sea up in the Bay Area. And um, and what I do is I go down for a walk by the sea, and I do that uh, every day. That seems to be the thing that gets me going. As long as it's kind of like an ambulatory process, if I can uh, walk at the sea and take in that world, suddenly thoughts start turning. And almost every time you either meet somebody or uh, some, you see something on the sand, um, a little piece of something that catches your eye, and it starts a, starts a, a story going in the mind. So. The process really is to get out of the house, <laughs> to go out, to go outside and shut shut the door on the house and get out there, and then uh, that will that'll that'll trigger something. Well, good advice, and certainly, look, the stories in this book we're going to talk about are wonderful. So, hopefully, you spent a lot of time at the seaside before you wrote them. All right, <laughs> I have a question for you though that that um, I'm always curious about. You know, some writers will tell me that they write for themselves. And others will tell me, you know, look, I was trying to make a social point or an ecological point or even a political point. What what motivates you to write? You know, what motivates me to write is that uh, it does seem to be, writing seems to be my companion. Um, I've been married to um, and with my wife for 42 years, so it's not that I don't have a human companion. Right. But uh, writing seems to be the place, and this was always true when I was a truck driver and other jobs, um, when I was on my own, that I could put my thoughts down and scribble down some notes, and that that kind of companionable presence of the page was something that uh, allowed me to say and think and do things that um, I might not have done out in the world itself. So it was, uh, it ends up being, um, it ends up being kind of my twin uh-huh. in a way yeah okay well you know since you mentioned that it's kind of your companion i wonder um i've had writers tell me for example that they live with their characters and they live with them uh-huh. for months at a time and have conversations with them is that part of your writing process well you know um a number of the stories in the book mm-hmm. are uh inspired by real uh, real people that I met down at the sea, um, part of what I call the out crowd, the outsider crowd down at the margins of the sea. And I still see those people. So they really are still in my life. Um, and then I, <laughs> and so if I see uh, a man named Bill who used to own a tavern who sits down by the pier every day and I uh, write a story about him, inspired by him, and it becomes a story. Uh, with a different character's name and maybe some different uh, a different uh, idea of what he was doing with his life, mm-hmm. still I still see him. I still see him. So the characters 
uh, other than the ones who have passed on, because a few have passed on, uh, just they're still they're still with me. They're certainly in my imagination, but uh, sometimes they're walking towards me on the on the beach. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, let, let's jump into the book. Let's talk about the stories. There are twenty three stories in this collection, yeah. and it's titled Spell yeah. Heaven. And we'll talk about that story a little bit. Did you set out to write a collection, or is this something that just evolved over time? I believe you yeah, talk a little bit about this in your acknowledgments. Yes, that's great because you know. Um, uh, I taught creative writing for many years at San Francisco State. Um, I, to tell you the truth, uh, while I was teaching, I just wrote these stories uh, as they came, and I didn't have a plan. I know people, uh, students sometimes hate to hear that, that you don't have an organized plan, but really organically they grew over time. So there wasn't um, a plan to have a book, uh, and uh, but the narrator keeps looking for something and she keeps meeting people and they keep teaching her things and mm-hmm. so she uh, slowly over time those stories grew and grew and grew and then uh, and you'll notice in the book a kind of narrative arc where she starts to learn some things she needs to learn so then I put them together and they took the book and I'm very happy about it yeah no, the book is wonderful how do you, but I'm gonna guess that you have more stories that you have written than appear in this in this volume. So how did you go about deciding, okay, these are the ones I'm going to keep in, and this is the order I'm going to put them in? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that, uh, I think in in a way, uh, there's a story early on in the book, and that is about uh, my wife and I moving to a uh, neighborhood um, in this Mm -hmm. coastal town. And that really did happen about 30 years ago. So in a a way, uh, the stories proceed and are gathered over time, and time does become part of the organizing uh, principle because slowly uh, things happen as she, as she goes along. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's, um, uh, and how they were organized in the end is, there's the other thing you, you'll notice in the book is that sometimes she falls back into memory because yes. the narrator grew up in a fishing family. So uh, you'll find her in the present, walking along the sea and meeting a man like the Kite Man or the Crab King Mm -hmm. and having an encounter. And then that will trigger a memory of growing up on a fishing dock uh, around her fisherman father and the Croatian fisherman that she grew up around. So um, this is, uh, so it kind of, that's part of the Part of the way it developed is, and part of the order is, she has the present, triggers the past, triggers the imagination into the future, and then you're bumping along as you go. Well, it's funny you're saying that, because one of the questions I had, and I was going to use one of the stories that's titled The One Second Sandwich as an example, and I like the way you talk about that falling back into memory, because I was trying to figure out how to phrase something. But in that story, as well as some of the other ones, as you're noting, let me just talk about that one real quickly. The narrator seems to have a crush on a neighbor girl, but and then within a particular short period of time, they both lose their parents. But But intertwined in that story... Here's a second story, hmm, wonder if it's about you, of a teacher zoning out while a student <laughs> is giving a presentation. And, you know, I love this juxtaposition that you did, but I wondered how you would decide, okay, well, you know what, this, this particular part of a story, me zoning out while somebody's talking, goes with the story about the one-second sandwich. How did you make that decision? 
You know, I, I, I really think it's intuitive. Uh-huh. And um, I, there's um, a wonderful writer, W.G. Sebald, who once wrote about uh, standing on a little cliff and there were some sand martins who had dug their bird nests underneath. And he said, I, I'm standing on perforated ground and I could fall through at any moment. <laughs> and that's kind of what happens with the stories is yeah. that you're in the present, uh, you're in a classroom, a kid is take, is uh, giving a presentation about uh, someone who's uh, decapitated and, and, and a, a quick death, and, that, and then a memory just comes up about childhood and about an early death of a friend's parents. So it, you just fall. You mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. You fall. And that's, um, it's, again, um, I hate to say this, Michael, but it's not very well planned. <laughs> well, it, it works wonderfully. And, you know, who, who knows about the human mind and how it, it, it connects us that way, but it does work wonderfully. Let me ask you this. Now, you're a published poet, and if I understand correctly, that's really kind of where you get your, got your start. How, yes. how is writing as a poet and the muse that goes with that affect or, or play into your writing prose now? Yes. Um, something that I uh, also used to tell students is that you carry your uh, bag of need, what I called your bag of needments, from one genre to the other. Uh-huh. So if you were a poet, one thing that you'll start to notice if you write stories is you might write a kind of a rhythmic prose that has the rhythms of poetry in the line and also a lot of imagery. Now, if you're a story writer and you're turned to writing poetry, sometimes you'll bring those story elements into your poem. So it you kind of carry them along. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that one other person, uh, when she read the book, said, oh, there's the rhythm of the waves in here. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of a poetic rhythm, too, um, the kind of the rhythmic in, uh, you know, back and forth that happens with um, with a wave pattern. So that's, does that does that kind of hit it? Yeah, I think so. You know, I couldn't help, and this kind of leads me into my, another question. For me, poetry is, you know, an example, good poetry anyway, where the poet goes below the veneer of everyday living, kind of into the hardwood to try to teach nice. us something, okay? And nice. I found that to be true in all of your stories, okay? And I, and I couldn't help wondering, is that... You may tell me again, okay, it's intuitive. Was that intentional, or is this something just part of the process? Well, well, just how you put it, that's a, that's a beautiful way to put it. And I, for me, um, it's a, <laughs> it is, it's part of the process, and it's a part about diving under the surface. Um, really, uh, you know, you can um, write a story, and it can be you drive by, you can have these drive-bys. You go by the moment really fast, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens. But it really is useful to stop. That's maybe a poetic process again, where you stop in the moment of something happening, and you dive below that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's where um, the rich stuff is often hiding. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. um, under, underneath the uh, the quick what happened next, what happened next, what happened next. Yeah. I, I, you know, for me, it's always where the lessons are. Um, all right. Well, let me ask you to do this. We're kind of talking around it, and I do want to cover some of the other stories. But can I get you to read an excerpt for us? And if you need to set it up in any way, you know, tell me which story it's from or, or whatever for the listeners, that'd be great. Okay. This is. I'm going to read just a little uh, bit of the start of the uh, 
title story, Spell Heaven. Mm. And it's, um, you know, the narrator uh, is uh, seeking a life that's different than the landlocked life that she's living um, in the academic world. So she uh, decides the one thing she knows that's familiar is that she's going to go down to the sea. And here's the start. Okay. When you're lost and looking for a sign, an omen, a clue, when the wishbone pole doesn't yield the lucky stem, when you no longer believe in heaven or hell, past lives or future, yet still hope for a hint, some shred of evidence, a piece of shining raiment, a lucky card that blows your way, offering something, a way forward, an escape plan. Whether you're feeling down due to a recent slight or a spate of misfortune, or the knowledge that melancholy has seeped into your bones, never coming in like gangbusters, but sneaking around the edges of the frame, a grayness that blankets the perimeter of the skin, then moves towards the heart, the lungs, journeys to the center of your earth, enters and takes up residence, then it's down to the sea for a walk, to the sea, the cure-all, the end-all. I walk, make my way along the promenade that stretches the length of the beach. The sea, as usual, is making a show of it. Some days gray and moody, some days black and blue, some days mossy green, as if a lawn lay just beneath the surface. On others, the deep, rusty brown of a red tide, a photoplankton flash mob. Sometimes the wind tears white bits off the top of each wave, sending hundreds of surrender flags into the air. But today it's mild, baby blue, with round, roly-poly waves that don't break so much as slide into shore, hesitate, reconsider, then decide to slide back out again. And there in the distance, the pier, a concrete span like a left-handed margin, left justified, and I'm justified in being here. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, sorry. Okay, shall we stop there? Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, we sorry. Can stop right there. It's a little hard when, when I can't see you. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So, you know, I love this story. Okay? This is the title story, or the, uh, the, the uh, title of the book, and one of the best stories for me. And I love what you do with it, but let's, let's talk a little bit more about it, okay? Um, yeah. The, the narrator finds a handwritten note, right? And the note yes. is apparently someone's attempt to write a note to God, but the, the writer has repeatedly misspelled the word heaven. <laughs> this is wonderful. Yes. And you write, quote, don't we all, every one of us, often end up misspelling heaven, close quote. And then you say, quote, isn't hell easier to spell and easier to find, close quote. Okay, I have to ask, what are you trying to tell us here? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, um, first, I have Michael. I have to tell you that I did find that note. Um, oh. The, 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 oh my goodness! I, and and I still have that note. Good, <laughs> it's good. Just, it's a little faded, but you could tell it was some kid very much trying to. Uh, oh my! Uh, spell heaven. Serendipity. So I, I think I think what I'm trying to uh, say there is. You know, uh, the narrator is a university professor and has a nice, cushy job and a good salary, and um, and and is that heaven? I mean, people have this view about heaven. It's what's heavenly. Oh, you get a new car. Well, that again. Wow, that's a great thing. Or you get a, a house or something. You fall, have a new lover. All of these different things that people. Um, the ways in which people describe heaven. But actually, 
the narrator is finding out that um, where what might be heavenly is meeting some people that um, you have a connection with, that you could chat with, mm-hmm. that you can hang out with, that you can look at the sea with, that it might not have to do with status so much or power or hierarchy. Maybe it has to do with um, simpler things than that. So that's, I, I think that's probably what I'm trying to get at. There. It's a wonderful metaphor. Um, and it's another example, I guess, very poetic to me, of diving beneath the veneer um, into yeah. the hardwood. Yeah. Now, you mentioned this earlier. You grew up in a Croatian-American fishing village, I think in Everett, yeah. Washington, if I recall correctly. That's correct. Now, in South Louisiana, you may not know this, but fishing, crabbing, very big business, but also integral to many families. You know, they, they generationals, they stay and yeah. stay and stay. How, now, how does, in, in your world, how does that upbringing, uh, being by the sea, being part of a fishing village, play into how you see the world as a writer. Yes, yes. Um, you know, um, I hope to visit your part of the world someday. I never have, so um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you know, I uh, spent a lot of time on the fishing dock um, mm-hmm. uh, with my father when I was young, and it was mostly uh, Croatian fishermen uh uh, Croatian American fishermen, a number of them had just come over from Croatia, um, and they could all tell big stories. People could tell stories. In fact, it's what I um, what I usually call it is the art of bullshit. Um, they they have the it's because if you can tell a good story and you can. Uh, captivate the people that you're chatting with, then, uh, well, it's, it's kind of like teaching. It's a great, it's a great skill. Uh, so I really feel that being up around, up around, uh, growing up around what I would call larger than life characters, at least to me as a kid, they were uh, full of life and they were full of tales and they could, um, you know, turn an image on a, on a dime. So, so I, I think that that's very much where I got uh, some of my writing impulse. And also my grandparents were from Croatia. And uh, so it's an oral tradition, too. My yeah. grandmothers could not uh, write English or um, speak much English, but they could. They handed stories down like heirlooms. You know, they mm-hmm. handed their stories down. That's And so that impulses from them as well yeah. um the, and one one last thing yeah. i'll add is my my one grandmother uh, yella uh said how you do things is malo pomalo mm-hmm. malo pomalo means little by little and that's actually back to your initial question that's how the story uh yeah. collection came together malo pomalo yeah it's, it's interesting i know when i read it i'm so first generation here my sicilian grandfather used to say Whenever in broken English, whenever there's a problem, look to the sea for answers. And oh, it's wonderful. fun. It's interesting because I, I picked up on that throughout uh, your stories. All right. Oh, so many, great. many writers will say to me, Mike, if I create a good character, the character helps me write the story. Um, <laughs> did you find that to be true uh, with Spell <laughs> Heaven? That's great. Um, I think that uh, the character. The character helped helps the characters helps me write the story in the way that they present the possibility 
that the imagination will kick in when they start to tell you the story. There's a man mm-hmm. uh, called Tommy Bench. He's um, in the story Who I Used to Be. And he starts to uh, tell me that he used to be someone else other than the guy who sat, sits on the bench all day um, with a can of beer looking out at the sea. And so, though I know a little bit about his past, he's really helping me just by talking with me and mm-hmm. saying, this is who I used to be when he shows me a picture of his younger self. He triggers the imagination. So, well, oh, who did John, who did Tommy used to be? Well, he used to work at Safeway, but he used to be a checker. Well, maybe let's imagine what his life was like before he was sitting here on a bench with a can of beer. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that that might be the way in which uh, characters help you. Um, they maybe give you a trigger or a woman who said, she was from Alabama, and she she didn't like it out on the West Coast. She said, I want to go where people are people. And, you know, you take that phrase, and then you start to imagine. So the characters the, the characters kind of give you a hand, um, That I guess, that way. Yeah, it's it's interesting, because I actually had one writer say that he his characters argue with him and say no 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 I can't oh. say I can't say that and uh, <laughs> I know that sounds strange psychologically to folks listening but I've had a little bit of that experience and and I know many folks say that they kind of live with their characters and they develop so it's not surprising but I like the That's way wonderful. you de- I like the way you described it can I get you to read another excerpt for us uh, yeah this is um this is also this is uh, one other short thing from spell heaven mm-hmm. and this is now that narrator's on the pier walking down the pier i see empty bucket after empty bucket notice there's not one bent pole trembling from a tug on the line nothing's biting i pass a guy leaning against the railing having a smoke sleepy eyed down in the mouth with nothing to show for the morning's effort hey there i say good luck today He gives me a go-to-hell look, then goes back to his smoke. I don't know why, but right then I decide to tell everyone out there with their crab nets dangling and their shopping carts full of bait, with their coffee cups draining and their boom boxes blasting, good luck, as if that'll make a difference. As if saying those two words in the air will confer luck, just saying those two words. One after another, to every person, group, couple, family, extended or not, traditional or loosely configured, again and again I say it. Good luck. Good luck. Let today be a good one. Maybe those out here are wishing for something more to leave behind yesterday's trials or old hurts, the bitter work battle, the fight with the crummy neighbor over an overgrown hedge. Maybe they, too, want better times for themselves and for their loved ones. Are they hoping, as I'm now hoping, that if we say it enough, if we repeat it and repeat it and repeat those words, if we say them with sincerity and conviction and an open heart, something might be different this time out. Mm. Oh, let it be different. That's great. Let me ask you this about one of the other stories, Murderer's Bread. I'm guessing from what you said earlier that that one is autobiographical. It's uh, it is uh, it is out of true events and it is imagined into you got it. Okay, well you know it starts off with I'm reading it and I'm thinking, uh oh, this is not going to go well. Okay, <laughs> uh, and I don't want to give away too much of the story, but you know the gay couple moves into this small town. Was it called I think um, Sea View? Yeah, moves yeah. into a small town and you, you go through the cast of characters and I'm thinking, oh, this might not go well. But it ends up being a very positive message, right? 
yes. And, and was that true to form? Um, you know, it was. Uh, it was a very, uh, again, inspired from a very real move and uh, a very scary neighborhood. Right. And um, and what happens over time is uh, through uh, the narrator's wife's uh, intercession with uh, uh, being generous to her neighbors, the neighbors... Uh, become part of a community, again, mm-hmm. a community of uh, people that you didn't initially anticipate that you would have anything in common with because yeah. people seemed so scary. Um, uh, and that's that's true of the book, too. When yeah. she goes, you know, she finds community um, down by the sea with a group that initially appears like, well, they don't want anything to do with her and she with them. So it, it is, it's, it's surprising um, if you go, you know, you were talking about going below the surface of language and an image. Well, if you go below the surface of people, right? Yeah. Um, you find uh, humanity. Uh, hum- yeah. There you go. Yeah, absolutely go. right. Well, listen, I got one more question for you before we wrap it up. So yes. qu- quite often readers will, will find something in a story that the author never thought of, wasn't on your radar. Have you had that happen to you? Where they find, uh, yeah. repeat that again, where they find yeah. something that you didn't know was there? Yeah, yeah, they say, oh, you know, I, I like what you did in this story when you did such and such, and you think, um, okay, <laughs> that wasn't on my radar. <laughs> you know, they, they got something, in other words, they got something out of the story that you, was not really on your radar when you were writing it. You ever have that happen? Well, well, well what's, what's interesting to me is that the people that I've talked to, uh, friends and other people who have read the, read the book, Everyone responds to a different story, yes. yeah, yeah. and that is that one person will say, well, I respond to that uh, gas station attendant being shot, mm-hmm. and uh, someone will say, well, I responded to uh, the the story about uh, that that woman who doesn't want to be here. So, so the thing that, that people are teaching me mm-hmm. is that they, when they read the story, they find something that resonates with their lives that I didn't know would resonate with their lives. I'm surprised. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised. Yeah. Each reader brings their own life experience to the book. Yeah. Exactly. This is a wonderful collection, but unfortunately, we are all out of time today. Um, You've been listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I've been privileged to speak with Toni Morisovich about her new book, Spell Heaven and Other Stories. You, you really should pick up a copy. Tony, is there a website or some other social media site where folks can go to find out more about you and also about the book? Yes, um, they, I do have a website, and it's www.tonymorosevich.com. It's a, it's a long, long last name, I know. <laughs> well, you know what? Let me spell it so that folks get that. It's M I R O S E. V-I-C-H. Tony, thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thank you, Michael. You have been a delight to talk to. I really appreciate it.